The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of The Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and today I'm flying solo, but shout out to the crew. You know, just want to make sure everybody out there is being safe and staying healthy, of course, wherever you are within the sound of my voice, whether it's stateside or worldwide. And shout out to all y'all stateside and worldwide for continuing to support the show. Love to see the numbers of the show everywhere we go. Always interesting to see where the listeners are coming from and where those downloads are happening. So shout out to everybody continuing to support the vault, man. We love y'all supporting the show. As we always like to say here on the vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics of NBTC. And today, well, we have a special album. Well, a lot of these albums that we cover on the vault are special. But rarely do you come across an album like we're going to cover today. An album that arguably, when you want to talk about its influence across the hip-hop genre, is maybe as influential in its impact as almost any hip-hop album out there, especially post-1990. It's an album that when you talk to a lot of producers like Pharrell, like Kanye West... If you look at acts like Outkast and The Roots, if you uh, look at the spectrum of where hip-hop was at that time, and in particular when you see where hip-hop was going later on in the decade, namely at least the next year into the next three or four years after this album came out, it really was an album that even 30 years afterwards, it still brings out a certain reaction from people who were either fans of this group or not. So we're going to go back 30 years ago and we're going to go back to September 24th, 1991 and the second studio album by a tribe called quest. None other than the low end theory released on jive records recording sessions, mostly held at battery studios in New York city, but then also had recording sessions at green street and soundtrack studios in New York City, and also mixing at Calliope Studios in New York City as well. We'll get into the story of the mixing and engineering of this album, which to me, I think really helped to make this album what it is. But made mainly between 1990 and 1991, the runtime on this, 48 minutes and three seconds. The producers on this, a Tribe Called Quest as a group, but mainly a lot of the heavy lifting on here happened with Ali Shaheed Muhammad and also with Q-Tip, but the group collectively produced this album. Also producing a couple of tracks on this was Skef Anselm 
really the architect of the sound in regards to fine tuning the sound, which we hear that sound, which is noted in the album title, the low end theory is none other than the legendary Bob power. And there's a lot of stories out there. If you guys read out on this low end theory, there've been a lot of articles celebrating the 30th anniversary of this album. You get to see exactly how instrumental he was. No pun intended to this album being made into the sound how uh, clean, crisp, and also being able to hear that low end, as we like to call it, how important he was. And he worked with a lot of different hip-hop acts. He worked as well with fellow Native Tongue members, De La Soul, the Jungle Brothers also worked on The Roots. The album that I covered last week, Illadelph Half-Life, Bob Power was also instrumental in getting that album tuned up and engineered as well. So shout out to Bob Power. He had a lot of great things to say about this album. But first, before we get there, let's talk about the guest spots on The Low End Theory. There are appearances on here, MCs by Diamond D, Lord Jamar, and Sadat X on the track so Show Business. There is also an appearance by the lovely and very talented Vinia Mojica and also bass player Ron Carter, who played a role in this as well by helping to play the bass line on Verses from the Abstract, the two of them featuring on that track. And then, of course... Closing out the album with one of the best posse cuts I would say in history is Scenario featuring leaders of the new school, Charlie Brown, Dinko D, and of course, who can ever forget Busta Rhymes first? And we'll get into that a little bit later as well. But yeah, the low end theory, 48 minutes and three seconds, really to me, a compact album, considering that there were a lot of records getting made that were going close to an hour over an hour at that particular time but really something that passes by when you're listening to it. So three singles from the low end theory, check the rhyme jazz. We got it. And scenario. Now, (laughs) when we talk about singles from a tribe called quest, these are three all time singles. Like if you were making a list of the top 10 tribe tracks of all time, whether it's by favorites or being objectively saying that they're the best of all time, these three are contenders to be in the top 10. You can make an argument that these three are in the top 10. So a lot of firepower on this, but the firepower went beyond the singles, which we're going to get into before we get into where I was at the talk about the title, the low end theory. Now there's been a lot of discussion and there were a lot of discussion after this album came out, trying to figure out where the title came from for the low end theory. Well, Tribe Called Quest definitely came out and explained the title, said that it really had a twofold meaning to them. First, the low end theory refers to the lower end of the sound spectrum, a.k.a. the bass frequencies. And that was something that was present throughout this project. It was definitely something that that hits you uh, when you listen to the album. There was a definitely an emphasis on bass. And the lower bass tones down deep down in that lower end of the spectrum that they really dug and to be able to get the quality of the bass that they were working with. Of course, also working with Ron Carter, who was a jazz bassist himself. And the second part of the low end theory also refers to the state of black people, how in the U.S. society they were on the low end of the totem pole. A twofold meaning. Really, I think the part that we all remember for the low end theory. And for those of us who are fans of hip hop and fans of music is definitely the bass tones, the bass and the music. That's really what captures all of us. So let's go ahead and go to where I was when this album came out again, 
you've been following this show for a while. And if not, then I'll go ahead and back it up for you. In 1991, I was nine years old. I was in the fourth grade. Um, at this particular time in the fall of 91, uh, you were coming off of a bang out summer and a really, really great summer of music. And then this album drops and you come off of it really getting a taste of check the rhyme first. And when that video dropped, it was like, all right, cool. We'll tribe is back. And then what you noticed though, what was different from the first album, which was people instinctive travels and the patch of rhythm is that Fife dog off the top is spitting. And it's like, okay, you know, for those of us, we got a little bit of taste of Fife on people instinctive travels, but here it seemed like he came out swinging and it was like, all right, cool. So that was a really, really cool first single. And as the time passed, and we started hearing more music from Tribe. Um, after Check the Rhyme came out, then the album drops. And at this time, like my sisters were really big into music. I had a sister who was in college at that time. She picked up the low end theory on tape. And then she brought it home and she played it. And I remember being downstairs in the basement when she put the tape on and we had this really, really nice system. Shout out to my pops though, who wired the basement up and definitely you're talking about like early nineties, late eighties, like being able to wire up a sound system. Like to me, like the acoustics of that basement still are almost as good as some studios that I've been in. But I remember her putting the tape in and then pressing play, but then going upstairs to go do something for like maybe 20 or 30 minutes. So I was all alone by myself downstairs playing at that time. I still had the regular Nintendo. I hadn't had the super Nintendo yet. <laughs> so I'm playing video games and hearing this album go which is strange because my parents never really liked my sister to play music around, especially ones that had curse words in them. <laughs> so as the album is going, I'm noticing, you know, hearing it just like how one, the volume was loud, but then you, I could even tell even back then just how crazy the bass was back then. But then also what I noticed is that from the first tribe album, I could even tell that, you know, yo, this dude Fife, definitely is on a lot more than what I remember because I didn't even remember him from people's instinctive travels, but he got on and I could like really tell, like as we got to the later part of the album that things were picking up even more and more. And then it gets the scenario and that's the end of it. Cause at this point, like my sister had been upstairs and I went upstairs and turned the tape around and press play myself. <laughs> it was wild. But then as we get to the end of it and it gets the scenario, I was blown away by the way the scenario sounded. So what I did was I actually dubbed a copy of this while my sister was doing whatever it was that she was doing. <laughs> it, it was crazy. I was blown away by what I heard. As I got a little bit older and into Tribe, and after Midnight Marauders happened and then Tribe's hiatus, then Beats Rhymes in Life, and then eventually when they break up, me missing Tribe as much as I did, I decided to go back and listen to it again when I was in college. And again, blown away by their production on this. Blown away how the group had really matured and also progressed from people instinctive travels to the low end theory. Now, Tip pretty much did a lot of the heavy lifting as far as MCing was concerned on people instinctive travels. I could see progression with him. But the real, really big leap was the progression in Fife Dog. And Fife Dog really just coming out and, of course, just coming out swinging and hitting with us with the, yo, microphone check, one, two, what is this? <laughs> it 
he got your attention right then and there. You could see that the progression of Fife and his increased involvement is one of the keys of what made this album better than People Instinctive Travels, but that also made it for the potential for it to be a special album. You know, there's things and elements that happen within the low end theory that you can't really replicate and put it in a bottle and then all of a sudden give the recipe to somebody to do over and over and over again. This is one of those type of things that like, it's a feel. It's not a recipe. It's a feel. I mean, and I mean this because we talk about the songs on here. Like there are a few songs on this that you see that have some memorable first opening lines and verses. We talked about Fife on Bugging Out. You even hear with Q-Tip on Check the Rhyme, back in the days on the Boulevard of Linden. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 as soon as you hear that, as soon as that song starts, you can just start almost on cue with Tip himself. And then, of course, the opening verses by Fife Dog on Scenario. Yo, Bo knows this, and Bo knows that, but Bo don't know Jack because Bo can't rap. And we're talking about right in the height of when Bo Jackson was the shit. You hear me? And the Bo Knows campaigns were on television all the time. Of course, Fife being ever so deft with his sports references and his rhymes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Like, my man definitely was a huge, huge sports fan. And you could see it in his rhymes all over and even starting right here. But really, the feel that f- what you get with making music like this doesn't come around so often. It's literally like magic. And I read about that in an article in the ringer that they said, you know, magic develops on its own time. And when it came with the development of this album, magic really did develop on its own time over the six to eight months period that they used to record this album and then get it done. I mean, it's, it's really, really crazy, man. As time has gone on. And then when you see different documentaries, like we saw the beats rhymes and life documentary, And then we get like the turning point for the group you could see was right around when the low end theory came out and you could see that it was like tribe was coming from just your okay rap group that you could see that you needed to pay attention to, to the point where they were like, all right, there must see TV. There must listen to music there. You have to catch them on tour. You have to listen to them when you hear them on records. That really was the difference. It made me, this album really is what made me a Tribe Called Quest fan. I mean, uh, People Instinctive Travels, I was not nearly old enough to be able to appreciate the music. But, I mean, at nine years old, people could say, yeah, I wasn't. But, like, the thing about it is that I always listened to this. Like, this was an album that my sister played in the car. She used to take me to get my hair cut. She played it at home. And then when I dubbed it myself, I would sit and listen to it in my room. With the Walkman. Yes, the Walkman that I bought myself. And I would sit there and listen to it and really soak in the music because it really sounded like feel-good music to me. You know, it did. So there it was, where I was and what I thought about it. Uh, Really, a lot of people coming together to come help make this album happen. To talk a little bit before I talk about my highlights, I just wanted to give a shout-out and speak about Bob Powers' influence into this album. Now, there were a couple of articles that I read one of them was from okay player where they during the 25th anniversary of the low end theory they interviewed him okay player did and the name of the article was how Bob power put the low end in tribe call quest the low end theory 
he spoke a lot about working with the group and having them come in and how things had transitioned as the times went on, you know, working in the studio starting in the 60s and the 70s that you see bands and all of a sudden you see like, you know, and with jazz bands and then you see the hip hop is now the new thing. And he said the the one of the good things about working with Tribe is that they were all business and there wasn't a lot of shenanigans going on in the studio, i.e., you know, people drinking or using drugs or guns or anything else like that. He said it was a different type of feel. And he knew that they were all business and they also were great in regards to their listening to the music and like for the music that they were sampling and the jazz that they were using to sample. And that was something that really got him into it. Now, his part of this was helping the one engineer and also helping to run the studio sessions, but then to help perfect some of those samples, some of those samples from the jazz records that they used to create this album. Like he spoke in particular about listening to one jazz record and it was a Fender Rhodes sample in there. And they said, well, what's important in this is that they were like, is the Fender Rhodes it or is it something else? And now Q-Tip and Ali were basically saying, yeah, that's it. We need you to filter out whatever else that you can out of this where we can get this Fender Rhodes done. Or if it was a baseline and the tips and tricks he used from all of his experience of being in the studio to be able to filter out that sound. And especially with the baselines, to really create that clear, crisp sound. He said that his job was to make sure that if they were sampling so many different parts from different records, and then the, each one of these elements made up something that made the song, in his words, primary, secondary, and tertiary. He, The big thing to him, he said, was to make sure that those samples and those sounds did not trip each other up and did not drown each other out. They had to complement each other, and the tuning of those samples had to be perfect. And so that was his job to help tune those samples, to help filter out the noise, to give them something so that when they were ready to go, they could pretty much put these tracks together. So he really was sort of like a construction project manager in that in that sense to really help them get the pieces together so that they could go out, take those pieces and then build the building, which was the album. And we're talking about 1991 samplers and the things that they were using. You only have like literally less than a second. And the memory that you have is literally nothing compared to what we can hold on devices nowadays. So it really was, uh, I would say, a Herculean effort to be able to do that from all the different elements they used to sample on this record. And Bob Power played a really, really big role in that. All right. So enough of that. Let's go ahead and get into my highlights. Well, (laughs) where do you start? I mean, this is, to me, Power Packed in particular. We'll talk about one highlight overall to production. I mean, we talked about it, what Bob Powers influences on this, but the group all together using and picking the sounds that they use are things that now when you listen to this record and if you do go into jazz records or you go and dig and try to find out where these samples were used and hear the original records to be able to hear what they came up with with some of the samples on this. It's amazing. I mean, it's almost like magic. You want to talk about magic. It really was just just magic. And then also being able to take some of the live instruments on this, like Ron Carter on bass, just making sure that everybody just (laughs) works together. I mean, and then not even just talk about Bob Powers, all the other engineers like Peter Christensen's and Eric Gast and Tim Lathan and Dan Wood and Jeremy Staub and Mark Singleton. Make sure that this sound was cohesive, clear, and something that when you put into it, as Q-Tip said, they wanted the sound of it to sound like they were sitting in a Jeep in the back seat. That's what they wanted, that Jeep back seat sound. And I think they accomplished that. 
But in regards to tracks, here are my highlights. So obviously, of course, bugging out. I mean, this is something like that baseline that they took is just something that hits you immediately as you start the track. But then Fife comes out swinging out the gate with <laughs> those opening lines that, like I said, just grab you. And and that's really Fife's big introduction, I would say, to a lot of us on the hip hop stage is you hear this and it's just like, all right, cool, let's let's get it. The track Butter, like, I love this because this is Fife on display again. I mean, telling this story, in particular the first verse where he's talking about the chick flow he met during high school and how all of his homies are telling them that he's a she's a hoe. And he's like thinking like, nah, like, you know, she's the one for me. I'm the one. And come to find out she was tricking with his homeboy behind his back, you know, and he thought that he was cool because he thought he was Mr. Loverman, but he's not. And this is just another one of Fife's talents to be able to tell a story and really put it in everyday man terms, sort of like you're sitting and chilling with the homies on the block. I mean, that's to me what one of Fife's redeeming qualities as an MC is that he doesn't make the stories or even whatever it is he's trying to say seem too difficult to understand. I do like show business with Diamond D, Lord Jamar, and Sadat X. Now, <laughs> I know those of y'all who have listened to The Vault over the years have heard me sort of opine on Sadat X, but I do have to say that when we did One For All last year, what was Brand Nubian's debut album, that I said I liked his work a lot better earlier than I did his work later on in the 90s. And I think this is an example of me liking what it is that he has. Yeah, he has a really unique voice, and I really liked his work here earlier. But the overall message of the, sh of the show business thing is something they would also tap on later on and check the rhyme in regards to how grimy the show business can be. And you can even imagine back then in 91 when <laughs> the record companies had so much control over the artists that they ran everything. And, and so you could only imagine how grimy it was underrated really to me, I think is like a track like vibes and stuff. Like <laughs> I, I really love, love that track. It's really, really smooth. I did like verses from the abstract. I didn't really like Q-Tip's flow so much on this, but I did love the addition of Vinnie Mojica, who at this time was doing a lot of work with the Native Tongues. And as the 90s went on, she became a very sought after vocalist. And she really, really fit every track that she was on. And then, of course, the live bass playing by Ron Carter, which really, to me, made the track overall from Versus of the Abstract. Not really one of Q-Tip's best lyrical performances, but... You know, I think the whole the track put together with the hook and then with Vinnie Mojica and then Ron Carter, I think made it a serviceable track. Everything is fair, I think, is a good track as well. But I, the message in that, again, is like one of these things you talk about, like the stories and like this is just another one told by Q-Tip. I think it's great. What I think is an interesting track. It's to me an interesting track to lead into scenario. But this is one of the things I think where Q-Tip is at his best this creativity of answering questions and asking, asking questions all at the same time, <laughs> you know, that's uh, to me, I think tip at his best when as an MC, of course, the three singles check the rhyme. I mean, when you <laughs> just being able to listen to that intro and then that breakdown down into the, you know, the beat and the baseline, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's heaven. And then being able to get that start, and from the beginning of that, you know, you get the intro back in the days on the Boulevard of Linden. I mean, that's something that, you know, it's it's you can't get much better than that. And then to have them before they get into their verses, 
You on point five all the time, tip. You on point five all the time, tip. You on point five all the time, tip. Well, then grab the microphone and let your words rip. I mean, and then Fife Dog goes into his verse, and then we turn around, and then it's flipped in the second verse, then back in the days on the boulevard of Linden, we used to kick routines when the presence wasn't fit, and it was I, the Fife, and me, the abstract. The rounds was the rump until the brothers wrote the sack. You on point tip all the time, Fife. You on point tip, yeah, all the time, Fife. I mean, just really classic, classic hip-hop stuff right there from a tribe called Quest. And then, of course, Jazz, we've got it. I mean, come on. That's um, another thing. We talk about the low-end theory. That's the baseline on that one as well. Great verse there by Q-Tip as well, and a great verse by Fife. Really, we talk about the the back and forth, the contrast between the laid-back, you know, very easy style of Tip and then the more hype style of Fife Dog. Really on display, on Check the Rhyme, and on Jazz, we got it. And then Scenario. I mean, <laughs> it's just one of the, now their word is, is that there are many versions of this track that exist with many different people on this. I've heard and shout out to 12 Kyle and eclectic who did the low end theory earlier on this week. Of course, y'all know 12 Kyle from the 12 Kyle podcast. You know, he always does dope things. I always listen to them. Um, me and Kyle review a lot of the same albums and I've always liked to hear his perspective on that. Cause as I say, Clet and Kyle at that time were outside <laughs> or more outside than anything else. And to me, I wasn't really outside. I was sort of looking out of the window. That's really the way I like to, de- to describe it. They sort of talked about the, uh, the versions that are out there that featured positives of De La Soul. Um, and there's also dress from black sheep, I believe featured on one of these feet, these versions of scenario and that there's a couple of different versions out there, but the one that we all got is the one with tribe call quest featuring leaders of the new school. And most of us were ignorant of the existence of the other ones, but this one that we came out with is the one that hit our ears and also the video that we saw. And for me, you know, even though I know Clex says he loves the versions of scenario that we didn't hear to me, when he talked about posse cuts and of all time posse cuts in hip hop, this to me has to be on the short list of the, in the top 10. It really does. Um, only because when you talk about how big this song was, and let me give you an antidote of how big this song was. And in particular, of one part, how big it was, or a couple of parts. So I went to go see Tribe Called Quest and Rock the Bells in Columbia, right at the Meriwether Pavilion outside of D.C. in Baltimore. And it was a killer, killer lineup. Snoop Dogg, there was Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang, KRS-One, Rakim, Lauren Hill was there and Lauren was late. She made the show delayed by almost two and a half hours. <laughs> Talking about some, she's saving souls and we're concerned about her lateness. Like, yeah, we are concerned about your lateness. Be on time. <laughs> but beyond the fact, Tribe Call Quest comes out and I saw some of the best reactions when people saw them back on stage together. But they go out and they put on scenario. And when Fife comes out, all he comes out and says, hey, yo, and all you heard was everybody in the crowd. Bose knows this. Bose knows that. But Bo don't know Jack because Bo can't rap. It was like a magical moment when you could see all these people. It's got to be in the main gallery, probably about five to 7,000 people. And out on the grass is probably like another two or 3,000. Everything gets going. You like they wrap the parts of the people who are there. You know, Charlie Brown and Dinko D weren't there. But then out of nowhere, 
comes walking out from the back as Buster Rhymes and Split Star. And you want to talk about a crowd that lost its shit? A crowd. Look. <laughs> a crowd. That crowd lost its shit when Buster came out on the stage. But they really lost their shit when he came out and says, I heard you rushed and rushed and attacked. <laughs> and everybody suck it. That's the thing. And then Buster has that energy when he's on stage. And then when they get around to the second part of that verse, it's as I combine all the juice from the mind. Heal up, wheel up, bring it back, come rewind. Powerful impact, boom! It's like everybody in the crowd said that. There are only a few songs that people and artists can perform that get that type of reaction from a crowd that loves their music. It's just magic. I mean, the reaction of people to that song of a lot of folks who went in there who were obviously old school hip hop fans, but then the reaction to the, the song overall. And then when Busta came out, it was like, bruh, shut this whole shit down, shut it down, please. <laughs> Before the place catches on fire. So just great, great stuff, man. Scenario to close out the album. Really a great choice. It's probably one of the better choices of albums that I've heard like reviewing, not just in this year, but of all the years I'm doing, one of the best choices to close out an album. But as far as any lowlights are concerned, now I do have, I don't want to say lowlights, but one, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The infamous date rate. Now I can kind of understand where Tip and Fife were trying to go and where the group was trying to do in regards to this particular song. But this song was made in 1990, 91. There's no way in 2021 this song gets made and released. Like, no way. It's <laughs> no way in Hades does this song get made and released. So that's the elephant in the room. Then we go on to other tracks. Sky Pager, hmm, two minutes and 12 seconds. Could have done without it, you know? I mean, it, it's something that, to me, I don't think it weakens the album. Sometimes you get songs on album that can weaken the album. I don't think Sky Pager brings Low End Theory down any couple, any notches. And then the song Rap Promoter. Again, another short song, uh, Q-Tip solo joint. Uh, well, I, I mean, like sort of like Sky Pager, I could have done without it, you know? There are tracks that I think you could maybe do like a more of a skit, I would say, but not something that I think that needed to be a song, but I don't think that they take the album down any notches per se. So there we are my highlights and lowlights. And now we're going to get into notable quotables. Now there's a lot of notable quotables on here. And I think that while well, both tip and Fife did a great job on this, I think Fife has tons of quotables and lines and like, you know, one hit of quarters and stuff right there. You know, I could go the easy route and go the Busta Rhymes verse, but I'm not going to go to the Busta Rhymes verse. I'm actually going to go to Fife's verse on Butter. And this, like I said, is one of my favorite tracks from him. To me, this is, I think, Fife at his best when he's sort of telling a story and makes it really plain to understand. You could follow what it is that he's saying. But really cool story, I think, the way he told this and Fife's verse on Butter. 1988 senior year Garvey High, where all the guys were corny, but the girls were mad fly. Lounging with the tipster, cooling with the shy, scooping with the honeys, they know who they are. I was the b-ball playing, fly rhyme saying, fly girl getting, but never was I sweating. Because when it came to honeys, I would go on a stroll until I met my match. 
Her name was Flo. Yeah, I messed around with the one called Flo. All the troopers round the way used to call her a hoe. But deep down in my heart, I knew that Flo was good to go. Because I thought it was me. Like Belt Bib DeVoe. But little did I know she was playing with my mind. The only thing I learned is good girls are hard to find. I mean, that's <laughs> really simple right there. And then those ver those bars right there, you can sort of tell the story, you know? And then he goes into, and he says, like, other lines, like, you know, swinging with my main man, lucky behind my back. What type of crap is that? Yo, how's about a smack? <laughs> yeah, man. So really, five to me, a favorite of mine's on there in regards to that verse, man. There's a tons of other quotables on here. Like I said, some of the most memorable opening lines of verses you hear on this album, things that people will quote as their favorites, no matter what. Now to talk a little bit about like the influence with this. Now I talked a little bit about some of the producers out front, like Pharrell and Kanye West. And, you know, talking about other groups like outcast and the roots, even groups like little brother, you know, talked about their in tribes influence on them. Now this particular record, when you talk about tribe, I think gets referenced more than any other record in their catalog. I mean, it's something that like, this album has somewhat of an effect when you, when people talk about it, it's almost like when people talk a lot about seeing Michael Jackson in concert or even singing and hearing Prince's music. When people will talk about when they heard the first time, you know, Sam Cooke sing, or when they heard someone like Aretha Franklin or Whitney Houston, or even being able to hear uh, uh, someone like John Coltrane or Miles Davis playing the saxophone or the trumpet, you know, respectively. It's almost like when people talk about the way that Jimi Hendrix played the guitar, people have a fondness and really the reverence that they talk about with the low end theory in regards to, um, you know, its quality in the regards to what it means to them. And for a lot of hip hop fans that were of a certain age, it was an album that sort of ushered them into that next generation, especially those who would experience hip hop and understood it and had really been a consumer of it in the late 80s into the early 90s. It really served as a transition into the next couple of years, which at that point, when we got to 92 and 93, music changed a little bit. And so the emphasis really did shift from the East Coast over to the West Coast. And you had probably about a good year and a half to about two years of domination on the West coast and especially namely of death row, but then of other artists on the West coast who were taking their cue and seeing the opportunity to really get themselves out there. But this album in particular, when you talk about a lot of the people that make great music now, will sit there and point to this album as an influence. You know, we talked a lot about in earlier reviews about albums like Illmatic. And we also talk a lot about, um, albums like in America's Most Wanted, people would talk about Straight Outta Compton and It Takes a Nation and Millions to Hold Us Back and Paid in Full and Criminal Minded, you know, those type of albums, Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. I mean, we covered earlier this year, De La Soul is Dead, which came out in 1991, you know, Native Tongues, Posse, obviously. So it really, it's almost like the same reaction that people have when they talk about those albums and people of a certain age it's something that they sort of point to this as a hallmark moment that changed their lives as hip-hop fans and that's really the big thing is that for a lot of people reading their reactions the stuff i've seen on social media of personally talking to people that this was 
uh, sort of a momentum changing album for a lot of folks in their journey as hip hop fans, which is crazy. And I really, you know, scoffed at that for a while um, until a little bit later on in life when I just listened to this album again. And um, as me, like I said, Tribe Called Quest is right up there with my favorite rap groups of all time. As a matter of fact, they're one of my two favorite rap groups of all time. And it's just amazing, though, to see like in 30 years that this the reputation of this album has not suffered one bit. And it's even gotten better as time has went on. As a matter of fact, this is one of the first albums that on the first time around, the source got it right. Five mics. This is a five mic album. <laughs> so in the source, they gave it five mics and it deserved five mics. It really did. This was really the start, I think, of making, helping to make Tribe a really, really big act. And by the time I think Midnight Marauders came out and by the end of that album, I think they were at and close to their peak, which is so puzzling why the break after Midnight Marauders happened and what followed after Midnight Marauders was even more heartbreaking to us as Tribe Called Quest fans because we saw what the peak looked like. We knew what they were capable of, but unfortunately, not all things are meant to last. And yeah, I mean, I'll just have to leave it at that. And of course, so now y'all know where we are. You're going to get to my final test, the test of time to see where I think it is. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's a certified classic. It's a 10 out of 10. It's an album that when we talk about albums in 1991 is to me, one of the top two albums of that year. And when we talk about what came out in 1991, We've already talked about De La Soul is Dead. We've covered already Ghetto Boys. We can't be stopped. Um, we've already talked about Breaking Adams by Main Source. We know that coming up is going to be Death Certificate coming out later on this year. We've seen Step Into the Arena as well in 1991. Quickest to name. But this album, to me, is one of the top two of that year. As a matter of fact, to me, this is in the short list of conversations when you want to talk about like uh, if you want to make a list of the top 15 or 20 hip hop albums of all time, this is on the short list of albums to be considered without a shadow of a doubt. And I don't think there are many people out there that would dispute that with me. This is on a short list of the greatest albums of all time. Hip hop. Yes. But then also of all genres. And I think because of a lot of the techniques and things that happened, the way that they use jazz, the way that they use the jazz samples really kind of laid a foundation that they would build on upon their next record. And <laughs> spoiler alert, this is great. And I think this is one of the best hip hop albums of all time. And while this is a certified classic and while this is a 10 out of 10, shoot 12 out of 10, I actually battle whether or not this is actually even their best album. That's to be continued two years from now. Hint, hint. But yeah, Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. 30 years old, celebrating a momentous anniversary. Make sure y'all go check it out. Definitely go listen to it for my vinyl heads out there, especially the ones I know who are serious vinyl heads. Everybody I know who collects vinyl has this somewhere. Yo, definitely go listen to this, man. Go read some of the articles about this. You'll really be amazed at the work that went into this album, considering the technology they had. The work that went in to make this truly the classic that it is. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. 
please make sure you are checking us out on our host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to the Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the link in our bio of any one of our social media pages, you'll find our link tree. There you can find all of our streaming sources and, of course, all of our social media pages. Again, you can find the Vault on Instagram at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube, you can search the Vault Classic Music Reviews. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.